evening and welcome to episode five of the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and tonight we've got the whole crew back as uh, we have got Jason and Joe all together under one roof again. How you doing, guys? Doing well. How about you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back. So <laughs> it, It's been too long since we've all been together, that's for sure. So, uh, Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, Andrew, I am currently on meds for a sinus infection, so I am going away from the alcohol tonight, and I am drinking a Saranac root beer. Uh, Saranac root beer, it's handcrafted. Um, where is this from? I got it up in New York and Syracuse at Wegmans before, and they have it at Wegmans in uh, PA now, but I'm not seeing where it's actually from. But uh, they are the 2017 U.S. Open Beer uh, champions for root beer here, it looks. Oh, there you go. All right, what do you got, Joe? I'm drinking a crisp and refreshing Angry Orchard because I'm feeling pretty crisp and refreshed after that week last week. (laughs) It's a good week for the Cubs. And tonight I am uh, drinking from Trogues a boysenberry tart ale. Uh, My wife got me hooked on these on vacation a few years ago, and – the cans are a nice thing to take down on the beach while you watch the kids splash in waves. All right. So uh, last week, um, Atlanta started the week a little bit rough. Um, that series of the Mets was really rough. You know, me and Jason touched on it last week. Uh, that horrific injury to Kevin Pillar when he got plunked in the head by accident. Um, you know, in game one, Thomas Nito had a really great night for the Mets. He went uh, three for four. He had a double. He scored two of their runs. Um, uh, Taiwan Walker actually left the game after three innings due to some tightness in his side. So, you know, ordinarily you'd think, hey, Atlanta, you should be able to get a jump on that. Uh, No, the bullpen held, unfortunately. Um, Austin Riley did hit a solo home run later to bring it it close, but the uh, Braves couldn't finish the comeback. Uh, Max Free did pitch well. He went six innings. He gave up five hits, only one earned run, two walks, and eight strikeouts. Um, once again, though, the bullpen could not prevent the Mets' offense. Um, although I, I should note, uh, in the last three innings, they did only give up two runs, which that's not bad. I mean, that's you know, that's an ERA less than one, so you know, I can't complain too much there. So um, an update for Pilar's injury: he had no serious injuries other than the nasal fractures. You know, he didn't have any, he didn't have like a subdural bleed or anything like that. Thank God. Um, on Tuesday night, he actually brought the lineup card out, and uh, the Mets players all said after game it was such a huge boost seeing him back. Um, and in that Tuesday night, uh, Atlanta sent out rookie Tucker Davidson for his first career start. Um, he didn't get the win. The Mets did win that game, but he pitched well. He went six innings, gave up five hits, three earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. Um, the Braves tied at 3-3 in the eighth, but uh, unfortunately, Tomas Nito once again came through big in the ninth. He hit a home run off of Will Smith with two outs, frustratingly enough. And then uh, the Mets, they played a bullpen game, and we really didn't do much at all. Uh, Freeman and Riley did hit solo home runs, but that was about it. I mean, it was a you know, first two games very frustrating for the Braves. Now in game three, uh, Charlie Morton came in. He pitched a great game, six innings, two hits, one earned run, no walks, and eight strikeouts. Um, unfortunately, as what seems to be the pattern here, the, the uh, bullpen had some difficulties. Um, A.J. Minter made a throwing error that gave the Mets uh, the opening to score some quick runs. Um, he got two quick outs. He missed through a ball to first, and then he walked McCann, gave up a double to Peraza, which brought Dominic Smith in. Um, the Mets actually brought Tomas Nito in as a pinch hitter. 
Uh, the Braves b- brought Luke Jackson on, who's actually been pretty solid this year. Um, he's the guy Braves fans kind of like to harp on when he from when he was a closer a couple years ago. I mean, he you know he doesn't have super shutdown stuff, but he's an overall solid guy, and he was willing to go the long saves if it was needed. Um, he did shut the door, but unfortunately, uh, Nito did get did drive in the one run and tie the game up. Um, and then let me see here. Yeah, so the Braves tied it back up in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Riley had a leadoff double. Contreras drove him home. Joe, I once again thank you for having the older Contreras help uh, teach the younger Contreras some good tricks last year. Uh, the ninth inning, the ninth inning was interesting as it always seems to be. Will Smith he struck out Maven on the fir- on the first batter. Unfortunately, that was a wild pitch, so Maven got to first, and then he uh, stole second, and then reached third on another wild pitch. Thank God, uh, Smith finally shut the door and said, "Enough is enough." In the bottom of the ninth, uh, Braves play-by-play announcer Chip Carey pointed out that Ronald Acuna Jr. has never in his storied young career hit a walk-off home run. So what did Acuna do? He took the first pitch and smashed it out to deep right center for a huge walk-off home run. So the Braves were able to salvage the last game of the series, didn't get swept. Um, You know, the bullpen frustrated me that series, but the offense was really the problem. We got so many chances against the Mets bullpen, and the back end of their bullpen is usually pretty solid. The middle of their bullpen is where you need to do the damage, and we had a chance to do that, and we didn't. Yeah, you really do have to take advantage of those middle relievers when the Mets bring them in because they just, like you said, their bullpen, Familia has kind of figured it out finally and has been more Mm -hmm. shut down than um, he has been in the past, and he's been what the Mets have hoped he would be in that respect. So yeah, you really have to take advantage of those middle innings. Yeah. I mean, and with the Mets having a bullpen game, uh, the, the Mets are really hurting right now too. I mean, we were talking uh, before we started recording how injured the uh, division like, and our teams are uh, the Mets are one of those teams that also had is being plagued by the injury bug right now. So they don't have all of their starters in and, and they're still getting these numbers uh, to the point that the Mets are hanging around there and they're still in first place in the division with that. Um, but the other thing that I have found interesting here is the Braves bullpen. It's not good. Um, looking at the uh, the Braves uh, bullpen ERAs and their, uh, their ERA is – Averaging around a 3.5 or so, um, most of their relievers are in the fours as far as ERAs go, which when you're only pitching one or two innings a game, that's not going to get the job done. That means you're giving up a lot of runs in those times. Yeah, when you look at – I mean, Jackson, you mentioned his ERA is is one of the highlights there. It's a 1.53. Chris Martin's a 1.35. But Minter and Smith are, you know, four three four. Smith is four five. I, that's not going to get it done. No, it's not. Now um, Shane Green, we did sign as a free agent. He should be finishing up his minor league appearances, I would think, this week, and hopefully should be called up within the next week or two. The other thing with the Braves bullpen is they're very lefty heavy, so Shane Green's going to help bring another right-handed power arm to the mix. So I do think the bullpen's going to continue to improve from here on. Um, things did get better with Martin coming back off injury and bumping Minter down a spot. Minter just needs to get out of his head. 
Every time he makes, he, he's going great. He makes a mistake. He can't get over the mistake and it snowballs. Um, so I think if Minter can keep out of his head, you know, and like, like I said, with Martin back, it bumps him down. And maybe even with uh, Shane Green coming back, maybe it'll bump him down one further spot unless we need a, a lefty spot late. You know, I'm hoping that'll get a little better. Mm-hmm. So the Braves took the momentum from the end of the Mets series and they carried it nicely into the Pirates series. Um, in game one, unfortunately, the bullpen wasted a good start from Drew Smiley. He went six innings. He gave up six hits, three earned runs, one walk, but seven strikeouts. Um, Nukem blew that lead in the next inning when the Pirates tied it. Um, that game went into the extra innings, and as has happened all year, the Braves couldn't do anything in extra innings. Um, the Pirates drove home two runs in the 10th. Um, Atlanta had 12 hits in that game, but they went two for nine with runners in scoring position. They left seven runners on base. Whereas the Pirates, they went six for 13 with runners in scoring position. I mean, that's, you know, that's what's going to happen when you can't capitalize on those runners. Now, from game two on, it was all Braves. In the Saturday game, Ian Anderson beat another pitcher at the last name of Anderson for the second straight start. The Braves' bats absolutely exploded for 20 runs, the highest output in the majors this season from any team. They became the first team in Major League history to hit seven home runs and two grand slams in a single game. Uh, talk about records that might not be broken. There's one that uh, it could be broken, but that's going to be really hard to do. Um, Ian Anderson had a good game. He went six innings, six hits, no runs, no walks, and six strikeouts. Um, they hit seven doubles in addition to the seven home runs, and the seven home runs were two grand slams. That was Acuna and Adrianza, Ozuna, Albies, Swanson, and then Riley hit two more home runs as well. And then in the Sunday game, Max Fried shut the Pirates down. He went seven innings, four hits, one earned, three walks, two strikeouts. Um, Swanson once again hit a home run. Uh, sorry, Swanson hit a home run, and Riley hit two more home runs. Uh, my player of the week for Atlanta, absolutely 100% Austin Riley, and I think he was also the NL player of the week, if I recall right, too. Um, here, here's his stat line for the week, guys. He had 24 at-bats, 12 hits, four doubles, four home runs, six RBIs, three walks, nine strikeouts. That's a slash line of... 500, 552, 1.167, and then the OBPS was 1.718. That's a great week. Yeah, and uh, Austin Riley is starting get to get really hot. Uh, made his, uh, I believe his rookie debut was just last year, so he's he's starting to turn it around and become what the Braves were hoping he would become as far as that bat goes in the lineup. Yeah, rookie year was 2019. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really – I mean, we talked about the bullpen a ton earlier, but, I mean, Smiley, for all of his struggles early in the year, and he has a good start and then you waste it, um, just can't have that. I mean, Riley, like you said, he's he's hitting lights out, particularly the last week. Acuna is Acuna. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the way it is right now. Yeah, last time I checked, uh, Ronald Acuna was leading the MLB in home runs tonight. I believe he passed Shohei Otani. I believe he did. Yeah, um, and I mean that middle game, it that's that's a video game right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that type of score and those types of home runs. Video game. I uh, kind of wish I would have been playing the other night when I got steamrolled trying to play it on uh, the Hall of Fame mode or whatever the highest mode is. <laughs> All right, so Jason, what about the Phillies this week? Yeah, let's go through the fighting Phils, who are also the injured Phils at the moment. Um, tough week. Miami still has their number. Uh, the Phils just can't seem to beat those fish. 
Uh, they did lose two out of three to Miami last week. Uh, the Phillies were actually down in in game one. Uh, that was, I believe, while we were recording our episode last week here. Um, the Phillies had a seven-run eighth inning uh, to get the win here. Wheeler had a great start, but he was almost uh, Jacob deGromed a little bit. Uh, seven innings, five hits. Only gave up one run, but didn't get any run support. Uh, so uh, the win did go into the bullpen here. Hector Neris, uneventful ninth inning. Uh, Wheeler uh, tried helping his own cause by hitting a double uh, that was off the top of the wall, so he just missed uh, giving himself a round tripper and his own run support by a matter of feet. And uh, the Phillies went 6-14 for 14 with runners in scoring position, some big doubles by Bowman Torres. And uh, Jazz Chisholm, the young stud for the Marlins, uh, he went two for four with two runs and two RBIs and double game two, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Brian Anderson, uh, got a home run on his birthday, uh, and the Marlins ended up winning, uh, three to one. So not a terribly exciting game there. Uh, Trevor Rogers did pitch a gem though. Uh, seven and two thirds inning, uh, five hits, one earned run, two walks, eight Ks. And, uh, Garcia did get a four out save for him. Zach Eflin did have a good start. Uh, again, just no run support, which when you have players not hitting well or uh, players not even able to play, uh, it's going to happen. Uh, the offense couldn't capitalize. Went one for nine with runners in scoring position. Um, McCutcheon uh, hit his, uh, I believe that was his 250th home run in that game uh, with a solo shot. And Jazz Chisholm had another RBI, uh, his third of the series for the Fish. And then in Game 3, the Phillies uh, were shut out, uh, out as Alcantara had a two-hitter through six. He ended up going those six innings with the two hits, three walks, and nine Ks. The Marlins bullpen did uh, complete that shutout. And the Phillies hitters struck out 15 times in that game. And the Phillies that game did go with a bullpen game, which actually – could have been much worse than the way that it that I thought it would go, especially when you have uh, David Hale starting and then you have Matt Moore coming in afterwards. Um, Hale giving up the solo home run through three I thought was actually very good. Um, when I saw that uh, there was uh, another home run added, I was like, well, that must mean Matt Moore came into pitch, and sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> and... Uh, and then uh, Archie Bradley just he, – he didn't have it that day either. Um, Alcantara helped himself out with a double. Cooper hit a triple and a home run. Uh, so he got half of the cycle, not quite the full thing there. And Rojas also hit a home run for them. Uh, so the story of that first uh, series was just a lack of offense from the Phillies. Um, and it's not really getting any better. No, uh, you do have to give Alcantara credit. He's a great pitcher, um, and he's known for putting good teams down. So I don't necessarily say that that was completely the Phillies being totally inept as much as they ran into yeah. a buzzsaw in that game. And, and I believe that Alcantara did uh, beat them the week prior as well. Uh, he kind of shut them down that that time as, as well. Um, the big thing here to take away is – Without their big guys in the lineup or without their big guys doing well, 
Uh, Bryce Harper placed on the 10-day injured list to, today, retroactive to the 23rd, meaning that since he was hit in, in, in the face with a fastball, um, again, uh, incidentally, uh, he was like 0 for 15 with 10 strikeouts. Uh, so clearly something just wasn't right. Um, so he's now on the injured list. Uh, JT Real Muto, they did put him on the injured list. Uh, DD Gregorius is still out. He's able to come back from the injured list, but they're giving him a few more days. Um, so those are three of your best hitters uh, out of the lineup. So that's you need other guys to step up. And uh, Brad Miller has done a great job uh, stepping into the roles here. Uh, last night he actually hit his 100th career home run. Uh, so any other thoughts from you guys as far as the uh, Phillies-Marlins series before we continue on with the misery of the Phillies-Boston Red Sox series? Well, I know looking at, um, you know, listening last week, you mentioned a ton already about how the fish just seemed to have the Phillies number. And sometimes you just have a team that regardless of how well you should play against them, you just don't bring it. Um for the Cubs, it's either the Reds or the Pirates on occasion where that happens to them. So I, I, it's you just run into a team that just has your number for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, and I'm trying to find the overall statistics here. Um, the the Phillies in all games are only 253 and 215 against the Marlins. Um, wow. For a team that is regularly near the bottom of the division, save for maybe a couple seasons to be that close to 500 is just not good. And and I remember back to when the Marlins first came into the league and the Phillies just could not beat them. The years that they were missing the playoffs by a game or two in the last weekend, they were losing to the Marlins regularly. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, um, with, with the Philly series. I mean, you got a guy like Wheeler. The Wheeler's got seven quality starts this year. You, you can't waste those. And they just seem to waste some of those. Both of our teams, real or your team so far, really just have wasted those great starts from your quality pitchers. Eflin's got seven quality starts. Noah's got five. I mean, you have to take advantage of those opportunities. And so far it seems like they just haven't, fully taking advantage of every time they get those. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why they're like that against the Marlins. Um, I, I don't know if somebody did some voodoo magic when the Marlins came into the league or something. I mean, up until last year, remember the Marlins had never lost a postseason series because the two times they made it to the postseason, they ran all the way, all the way to the world series and won it. Um, and every year there are just some teams that it doesn't matter how good the other team is and how bad the Marlins are, they give them everything they can handle. And it mm-hmm. seems like that is Philly pretty much every year. Um, I, I don't know why that is, Jason. I wish I had an answer for you, yeah. but that's just, you know, I, I, I and it's frustrating. I get it, man. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as though uh, at times the Phillies will play up to their stronger opponents and down to the weaker opponents. Um, speaking of... Uh, a rough week. Uh, the Phillies, after limping home, uh, after losing those to the Marlins, uh, they had to play a very tough Red Sox team 
who uh, in game one, Phillies just were sloppy. Uh, three errors, two by Alec Boehm over at third, and uh, Boston just kind of dominated that game 11-3. to three. Uh, Martin Perez was solid for Boston. Six innings pitch, five hits, three earned runs, one walk, seven Ks. Aaron Nola still has yet to find his groove this season. He struggled again. Um, five innings pitch, seven hits, five runs, four earned, uh, one walk, nine Ks. He, he's gained his strikeouts, but he's not – he's giving up uh, too many big hits. Um, he just doesn't – he just can't – it's having trouble keeping the, the batters off base, and, and when they do get the hit, it's usually been a double or a big fly lately. Um <coughs> Phillies went two for seven with runners in scoring position. Um, two of their three runs came with two outs, while Boston went five for 14 with runners in scoring position. Uh, two doubles for Vasquez, one double for Bogarts and Devers each. Uh, home run by Santana and Devers. Um, so, yeah, game one just sloppy uh, from the Phillies' end here. Uh, game two was pretty good. Uh, Spencer Howard uh, made his first start. He, uh, Made a few starts last season uh, and has been kind of up and down this year as far as being with the club. And um, he was a little wild in his first start, uh, three innings pitch. Only gave up one hit, but still gave up two runs because he walked four batters. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Kunai gave up two more runs in the sixth. Uh, Iovaldi didn't go deep, uh, but he was effective. Uh, he went five and a third innings. Uh, for the Red Sox with five hits, two runs, two walks, four Ks, and uh, 13 strikeouts uh, for the Philadelphia hitters that day. Um, Brad Miller uh, did hit his first triple of the season. Uh, Hoskins had his ninth home run, uh, which ended up being home run number 100 for his career. Wow. So uh, congrats again to uh, Reese. Um Boston did have uh, home runs again from Santana and Bogarts. Uh, Phillies, the big number here, 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Red Sox, not much better, 1 for 8. So uh, not a lot of hitting, but some good pitching in that that game. And game uh, 3 here, uh, Zach Wheeler, um, he uh, played the stopper, uh, ended the four-game losing streak, Great outing, seven and thirds, and he pitched three hits, one and run, one walk, 12 strikeouts. Uh, Phillies did jump on Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, which knocked him out after four innings pitched, uh, five hits, four and runs, three walks, and six Ks. Uh, the Phillies were much more patient. They made him throw pitches, um, only struck out nine times while drawing the four walks. Um, so the question here comes into play. Um, if, as to whether or not the Phillies will declare Wheeler the ace over Nola, um, and if so, when. I don't think they the Phillies see it that way. I think the Phillies see – now, they're not going to say that – they're not going to come out and, and go against it, but I think that they still feel that Nola and Wheeler are each an ace. I think the Phillies love their one-two punch to the point that they they feel that both are – the ace me personally as a Phillies fan at the moment, uh, I don't see how you can deny the fact that uh, Wheeler is more dominant. Uh, He was more dominant before he came to the Phillies. Um, 
but with with Nola kind of being the ace on the team uh, over the last couple seasons, I, I think it is hard for the team, and it would be detrimental to Aaron's mindset if they were to kind of drop him down in the rotation. Yeah, I could see what you're saying with that. I mean, it definitely would be or could be detrimental to Nola. Um, the numbers, I mean, speak for themselves with those two. I mean, Nola's ERA is three nine four. His WHIP is one 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 three. Wheeler's is two two thirty eight, and his WHIP is point nine four. Yeah, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I think everybody in the world can see who the ace is. Uh, but I do think I agree with you. There's there's sort of your your one two punches, and you just kind of leave it alone. And, and not worry necessarily about the titles and just say, go out and throw. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Uh, you you want your ace, you, you want your top of the rotation guys to be the stoppers. You know, when if three, four, and five are struggling, um, in this case, especially four and five uh, for the Phillies um, who have to have a bullpen game here or there, you need that one starter who's going to – and that losing streak. And Wheeler's command lately has been impeccable. Um, he had a couple rough starts at the beginning of the season, but his mechanics right now are just on point. Yeah, and that's why I, even if Girardi doesn't want to say, Aaron, you're not the ace anymore, you can't do it, I think he needs to find a tactful way to bring the two of them into the office and say, hey, you guys are still my 1A, my 1B. You know, Zach's pitching a little better right now. I want him going up against the. I want him going up the, against the other team's ace because he's going to. I think right now he's going to give us a better chance to win. And I don't think Nola's going to have a problem with that. I mean, if you're a, a professional athlete, you have to be able to have that conversation with your coach. Yeah. You have to be able to receive that conversation. Yeah, and, and Nola even has even said after his starts lately that he just hasn't had it. Um, he knows he's not pitching well. And, and I think to me, him at least knowing that he's not pitching well means that he's working on getting that fixed app fixed uh, for the future here. And Aaron doesn't seem like the kind of person who is fixated on a title of ace. He just wants to win. Right. And, and if he's not winning, he's not happy. So clearly he, you, you know, he's not happy and he's going to do what it, what he needs to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to – I mean, I had my <laughs> concerns about Kyle early in the season, and, and what did he do? He went back to the lab and figured it out. Um, I think Nola will figure it out. I think a few weeks ago we were really nervous about Naris, and his ERA is 218. I mean, I think a few weeks ago we said, let, let him figure it out, maybe pull him into a different inning, but don't pull him as your closer, and that seems to have – you know, uh, born st- out in the numbers. A little I'm bit. still, I'm still anxious when he comes into pitch. It's, it's not. He's, he's not giving up the runs at the moment. At the moment, but he, but it's very rare that it's a one-two-three inning. Most likely, you're looking at uh, Naris coming in, and you're thinking, okay, how many people can he let on base before he figures it out? Um, but uh, now his, his, he has pitched better. His ERA is down. Uh, for me, it's just a matter of how 
how how much deeper is the uh, the rut in the living room going to get as I pace back and forth watching him pitch? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why the dog keeps tripping when she's running through the living room. Yeah, well, that makes more sense. I, I, I don't. You know, I feel the same way when 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 Pedro Strope used to pitch for the Cubs. He hasn't really made an appearance yet, but he he's the same way. I'm like, you're gonna give up one. When's it gonna happen? And how close is this game? Yeah, Hector Neris is Mitch Williams 2.0. That that makes you shudder. All right, Joe. So how about you uh, tell us about the incredible week the Cubs had last week? Yeah, uh, strong week for the Cubs last week. They took three out of four from Washington to open the week. Um, when I made my predictions, I figured the one loss they would have would be Monday night. Um, Lester was on the mound. Uh, big reunion game there with – um, Lester, Schwarber, um, and uh, Starling Castro is on the Nats as well. Played for the Cubs for a short time, so um, you know I thought they would lose that game just because there's the emotion there and Rossi being close with Lester and all of that. Um, but that wasn't the game that they lost, so I'm happy about it. Um, Alzali continues to impress. I mean, he he outduels Lester. Uh, went five innings, five hits, three runs. <laughs> Three strikeouts, no walks. Lester went five and a third, eight hits and five earned runs and four four strikeouts. Um, Hayward, Baez, and Contreras all hit homers off of Lester. Um, and Trey Turner uh, is is just playing real well, I think, for the Nats the last couple weeks for sure. I think he's kind of a, um underrated kind of player outside of Washington. Um, and, and Schwarber also hit a homer. Uh, Schwarber and Bryant had a little fun. Uh, Bryant was in the outfield to start the game and left some candy out in the outfield for Schwarber to pick up uh, when he went out to play. Um, and then Schwarber, of course, went off to hit a home run. So, you know, the Twix bar worked, I guess, um, against us. But Cubs won 7-3 to three that night. So that was a lot of fun to see some of the the back and forth and the, and the, the tribute videos over the week were, were pretty nice. Um, with that series. so but, but to win game one, I think, with all the emotion involved there, I think that was great for them. Um, Javi right now, after Sunday night, has 11 homers and 32 RBIs. So he's leading the team in both those categories. So when he hits it, it's great. When he doesn't, well, it, it, you know, it shows in the strikeouts. But uh, game two, the Cubs won 6-3. Hap, who two weeks ago I said should go to Iowa, um, I'll continue to say that so that you continue to hit well. Um, <laughs> Hap, I think, has hit five homers in the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I, I tried that magic on the Phillies. Sorry, it didn't work. Phillies yeah. hitters, you're underrated. There you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, Hap and Bodie both had homers. Uh, Davies went five innings and looked real sharp. Um, only had a, had a walk and a strikeout and gave up three earned runs, but I think – um, location wise, he's, he's a similar pitcher to, to Hendricks as far as locating and, and all that. So this week he, he seemed to really do a much better job locating pitches in general. So I'm interested to see if that'll continue Corbin for the Nats, five innings, eight hits, three runs, uh, two walks, four strikeouts. The Cubbies finally capitalized on their base runners going three for six with runners in scoring position. Kimbrell is eight save his ERA. Um, coming out of that game was 1.08. His ERA, as we speak, is 0.95 coming out of the weekend with the Cardinals. Um, 
Soto in game three for the Nats, he, he's just, you know. He's a stud. He, he's a stud. He's just he's just crazy. Um, and, and their offense has – the Nats' offense has really just been pretty good the last few weeks in general, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think, you, you know, to get to get three wins in this series as a Cub fan, that's that's fantastic for me. Um, Arietta was a little rocky. Five innings, seven hits, four runs. Um, Baez again. Baez being Baez, he either hits a home run or he strikes out or a double. That's basically what he does. Um, after a walk in the first inning tonight, he finally has as many walks as we have no hitters in the league this year. So, I mean, that's he just is not someone who's going to take too many pitches. Um, you know, Scherzer's pitch count was high, only going five innings. So, to have a good season, uh, series there with Lester and uh, and facing Scherzer, that's that's fantastic for them. Uh, continuing that game four of that series, Hap again continued to stay hot, hitting two homers. Um, Four for six with runners in scoring position. Different situation in the weekend, but they did really well last week with that. Uh, Trevor Williams has really fallen off here the last couple of weeks, uh, just not pitching as well as he used to for the, the beginning of the year. He was looking really promising. Um, but, again, the Cubs have been jumped on on opportunities in pitching last week against the Nats, and, and we're able to make – three out of four, a reality for them. Um, and again, Kimbrell is just, Kimbrell is Kimbrell at this point. Um, and, and the Cubs had 14 strikeouts in that fourth game against the Nationals. So, Yeah, I mean, against the Nationals, everything clicked. The Cubbies pitching went well. They, other than game three, of course, um, their pitching did a great job holding the Nationals pretty well down for the most part. The Cubs did so well with opportunistic at-bats. Every game they were hitting well with runners in scoring position. And when you do that, more often than not, you're going to come out ahead, and that's what the Cubs did last week. Yeah, and the big thing for the Cubs here is as they're getting closer games, having Kimbrell back and healthy and – being his normal self is huge. Dare I say um, his Atlanta-like self. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, with uh, a- Andrew, your Braves, and my fills with the bullpens not really being as as strong as we would like, um, Kimbrel is healthy and, and is able to do his job again, which is, is good to see. Yeah, and the offense too. We've talked about it some, but their <coughs> runs per game since since April seventeenth, when I was ready to hit the panic button, they're hitting scoring five point four two runs a game, second only to the Rays, who are on fire. Um, you know, so they're they're putting things together, which is which is fantastic to see. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then going into the weekend, um, the Cubs stayed hot, winning two out of three from the Cardinals. I did not expect that. Um, I don't think most – That was huge for them as far as the division goes. I really don't think most Cub fans, if you asked them honestly, would have said we're going to win two out of three in St. Louis. I, I don't think so. I don't think I even picked them to take two out of three and pick them this past week. I know I didn't. <laughs> I, I think I picked one out of two, one out of three, I think is what I did. Yeah. Because 
you're playing the Cardinals at Bush, and the Cubs have been crappy on the road. And Plus, the Cardinals, the Cardinals are just hot. And traditionally, they are among the best home field teams. That's how they've always been. Even when they're a bad team, they play well at home. Yeah, getting a really close look in this series with Arenado. Arenado was just a freakishly good athlete. I mean, I knew he was good, but to see him up close like that for a whole weekend, he's just phenomenal at third base. Um, you know, so to, to that was a huge signing for the Cardinals, and it's really paid off for them. So again, for the Cubs to come in there, pull two out of three. I mean, the Cubs in game one was was just insane. Jock Peterson is everything I hoped he would be at the beginning of the se- the season. I said that's a fantastic pickup, and he's going to be a good bat for them. And that change of scenery that we talked about weeks ago it has really paid off for him. He had a first pitch he saw Friday night, and he nails a home run as the leadoff hitter, and that's what you want in a leadoff hitter, someone who's scoring runs or, and taking advantage of the opportunities that he gets. Um, Rizzo and Bryant happened, and Nico had all had doubles. Hendricks, six and two-thirds, um, seven hits, three runs. Only one of those is earned. One walk and four strikeouts. I mean, Hendricks, even what looks like a off night for Hendricks is still a good night for Hendricks at this point. Um, every Cardinal pitcher except for – uh, Ponce de Leon gave up at least two runs. Um, you know, it, that game looked close for a little while, and then all of a sudden, um, I don't remember which inning it was, but they just went off. Um, and it just, you're like, okay, let's see what happens here. Um, game two, uh, Alzali and Nicholas for the Cardinals. Alzali went seven, five hits, two earned runs, no walks, and six strikeouts. Again, he's just continuing to be left left alone and left to pitch with Arietta in that you know rotation too and in the bullpen working with him has really shown to, to prove and, and to prove that it was a good deal. Even if Arietta has a crappy year, the future of your rotation is fantastic because Arietta is back. Um, you know, and and one of those earned runs is is a as a Yachty homer in the seventh. I mean, Yachty's gonna be, Yachty's gonna Yachty. He's gonna hit a homer here and there. Um, I mean, he has seven homers already this year at his age. So that's a fantastic uh, game for him, and, and a fantastic game for Azalai. He just seems to continue to do it, whether he gets the win or not. He's still pitching well, and I think that's helpful. Um, Mikolas for the Cardinals. They're really hoping that he would um, bounce back. I think this is his first start after being hurt. Um, last year. So, uh, you know, he went four, three hits and an earned run, walking three strikeouts. Um, the, again, the Cardinals took the lead on that Yachty homer in the seventh, and there just wasn't a ton of offense there. And I think um, with that game and going into uh, the Sunday night game, the Cubs just – they I think they were 0 for 18 at one point. I think I was telling you guys – over the weekend, they were 0 for 18 in, in runner and scoring position opportunities after doing fantastic against the Nationals. Um, you know, so Jacques' numbers, he's had 112 at-bats. He's hitting 250. Um, his OPS is 733. So he's, he's producing now that he's finally healthy. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um 
and and Nico is is hitting three thirty three. Uh, Nico went out tonight. What looks like a hamstring strain. We'll see how long he's out. Um, but the the Cubs can't afford to have any money anybody else hurt at this point. No. Kind of like everybody else. Um, game three, Sunday night game. Um, low scoring, tight game. Uh, Wainwright looked looked like his younger self, but when you're giving him three with baseballs off the off the plate as a strike, Wainwright's gonna Wainwright. And the same thing <laughs> with uh, um, you know, with the Cubs there. I mean, it's Dave, Davies looks fantastic, but when you're calling three pitches off the plate, three balls off the plate a strike, and two, you know, two balls below the zone a strike, like we were looking at that, and that was what eighty an 85% correct rate. Yeah, 85% from, correct from the home plate rate umpire this time. And it wasn't even Angel Hernandez. I know. That's that's the scary part. Rookie I mean, umpire. Like I, I expect eighty-five to be the high watermark for Angel Hernandez, but wow, that was uh, that was horrible. Some of those pitches he was calling strikes, I don't even think Greg Maddox would have gotten strike calls back in the nineties. Yeah, I, it was just a wild game. Ross got tossed in the fourth inning, arguing a a ball again below the knees at, to Bryant. And I mean, Ross has been chirping in his ear for the entire game, but. When Ross comes out there and and tells you your, you know your your horseshit behind the plate, be better. Those are words that you actually hear him say. And you're like, what did I not hear Rossi say in that one? Um, but again, Wade Wright, eight innings, one hit, um, one walk, seven strikeouts. Um, Bryant had a hit in the first inning, and Bryant had a hit in the ninth. Those were the first, the two hits before extras that the Cubs had a Bryant single in the first and a Bryant single in the ninth. Uh, I mean, how the heck they won this game? I have no idea. Uh, you know, so going into the 10th, I, I mean, no runs were scored from either team. This is vintage Cubs Cardinals all of a sudden in a year that I didn't think we would have it. Um, so in the 10th, no runs scored Baez hits, you know, a, hits a two run bomb, gives them the lead. Um, you know, Cubs pitching gave up six walks, but I, I mean, when you can hand the lead to Kimbrell, yeah. Yeah. you know, I feel, pretty good. I feel pretty good about my chances. And uh, the Cubs were also getting key strikeouts against the Cardinals to, to end innings. I, I know uh, we were messaging and, and Joe, you were pretty amped up. Uh, did you even get any sleep that night? Well, not much, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's seventh inning. I, I swear, I, I, you know, must have put a hole in my floor in the basement because like, I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, come on, come on. Like, you know, there, there's two guys on and nobody out. And then it's bases loaded and nobody out. And all of a sudden, it's just like we get, you know. To get out of that inning is – to, to get a to get a pop up to to Contreras behind the plate to get I think it was a, a pop fly to the outfield pretty shallow and then to strike out Arenado in a ten pitch at bat yeah I, to me I was like this is fantastic my blood pressure still hasn't dropped I don't think but that was that was just phenomenal to see the Cubs really put it together for an entire week after how disappointed I was last week after they they. Crushed it against the, the 
Dodgers and they kind of fell off the next week and now they're, they're they're playing great again. I mean, the thing to watch for them, Contreras, I'm not sure when he'll play next. He might play tomorrow. Um, he took a 98-mile-an-hour fastball off the wrist. Hmm. He kind of misjudged where Kimbrell was going. That'll leave a mark. So um, he didn't play tonight. I know he was on the card to, to pinch hit, but I don't think he got in. Um, Duffy's on a 10-day IL now, retroactive to Friday or Saturday. Um, and, and you know, he's hitting 278. Duffy was kind of your bright spot, and now that he's going to be out of the lineup for a little bit um, still, I think. And, and so I think, you know, they had a great week. Ian Happ, again, had a great week, three homers. And you know, his, his last sign is 320, 393, 765, eight hits. Five runs. I'd say your hitting is great, but I still think you should go to Iowa. Don't don't lose it on me. Yeah, that was that was a classic Cubs Cardinal series. That was uh, mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyable to watch the entire week, and uh, I'm glad for you, Joe, that uh, you got a good weekend out of it. So, um, looking around at some of our other local teams, uh, this was a really crappy week for the Orioles. Um, they didn't win a game this entire week. Uh, only three of the last six games were even within two runs, and they've lost six straight, nine out of the last ten. So uh, the Orioles, they, you know, I, unfortunately, I hate to say it because I love the Orioles, yet yeah, we kind of expected this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can't when when you're up five runs early in like the first inning to the Nationals, and then you go and have what I call the Oriole inning, where the, the mistakes <laughs> just snowball. Um, you know, one guy gets on base, and then there's an error, and then there's a walk, and then two runs score. The the, the ceiling just falls out on them. Yeah. The floor just falls out on them, and they just go and have what I call an Oriole inning, and they just blow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, when they look really good early. Yeah, and that's never a record. Uh, that's never a recipe for success. You know, doing anything like that. Um, speaking of the one of the teams that swept the Orioles, the Nationals. Um, you know, they swept the Orioles. They had a successful return from the IL for C- Steven Strasburg. My fantasy team did much rejoicing because of that. Um, and so they were able to bounce back after the Cubs thrashed them pretty good in the first half of the week. Um, with the Mets, uh, DeGrom is scheduled to come off the IL tonight as we're recording. Um, Taewon Walker was placed in the 10-day IL after he left that game early in Atlanta. Um, and, you know, they took two or three against Atlanta, but then they lost two or three to Miami on the road. So the Mets are still being the Mets. You know, it's not – they're not consistent. They're still holding the lead in the division. Uh, they've got a negative 14-run differential. They've only scored 140 runs this year, guys, 140. I mean, that's – you're not going to find long-term success scoring 140 runs through 41 games. Yeah, and uh, to – to touch on a Degrom schedule to come off here, um, he had quite a rehab start this past week. Um, I, I I know I messaged you guys about this, but just for uh, the listeners out there who didn't look at that rehab start, uh, <laughs> he pitched three innings in the in a minor league game, gave up zero hits, zero walks. And so you figure three innings pitch, that means he had nine outs that he worked with. Eight of those outs were strikeouts. So three innings pitched and eight strikeouts. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but my first thought was, oh, my gosh, those poor minor league batters 
just staring down Jacob deGrom, who is working his way back from injury, and he's mowing them down like that. I mean, that's that would have just been something fun to witness. You know, my first thought when I saw that was, okay, who started playing the show and set the difficulty down to stupider than a rookie? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you feel bad for, again, it's single-eyed for St. Lucie, and, and you got 18- and 19-year-olds who graduated high school six months ago going up against deGrom, and it's just like, you know, how do you do that? And it's, but I think what's, what's really nice about DeGrom is he's a class act. I, I talked to some Mets fans and he, he put out a full spread for the Port St. Lucie team and he wore 11 for Pilar uh, that's nice. in his rehab oh, that's start awesome. instead of his 48. So he's, he's a class act and a stand up guy. It's hard not to root for him. I didn't quite see the step. But I'm kind of curious to see what that pitch count was too. Um, <laughs> Because I'm sure he was he was being pretty limited. Um, so I mean, eight Ks. I I just kind of want to see what that pitch count was and how just how accurate was he. Um, clearly, he did just he did enough. Yeah. The other thing with the Mets too is, you know, the injury bug for them. Only five of their thirteen opening day position players are currently active. Yeah. And playing. Um, I mean, the bright spot for them is Nito. Nito is. Seven runs, seven ribbies. He's hitting two sixty one. Uh, Andrew, you witnessed that, some of that, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah. he's really been a bright spot for them. I, I mean, I think you know, going three and and was that three and three? Uh, yeah, going three and three last week uh, with how hurt they are. That's not a bad week for the Mets. No, no, it definitely wasn't. All right, we're going to take a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, The next thing we're going to talk about was an incident that happened last Monday on the 17th that uh, we'd put up on our Facebook page and had a lot of response about, so I figured we'd discuss it this week. And I'm talking about the incident between uh, Tony La Russa and Yerman Mercedes. So a recap of what happened on Monday, the 17th, the White Sox absolutely blew the twins out. It was a 16 to four win in the ninth inning. White Sox rookie slugger, German Mercedes was facing an infield pitcher, uh, Williams Ostadillo on a three Oh pitch. That was a whopping 47 miles an hour. He swung at the pitch instead of taking it, which is the tradition you usually take on three Oh, but that's not a roll. He swung and he smashed a home run, which I, can I sidebar? I want to say that's impressive. When it's a 47 mile an hour pitch, you've got to put most of the power into getting that ball out. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, manager Tony LaRusso was quoted after the game saying, Big mistake. The fact that he's a rookie and excited helps explain why he was just clueless. But now he's got a clue. I took several steps from the dugout onto the field yelling, Take, take, take. The way he was set up, it looked to me like he was going to swing. He also said, I was upset because that's not a time to swing 3-0. I knew the Twins knew I was upset. He missed a 3-0 take sign. With that kind of lead, that's just sportsmanship and respect for your opponent. Uh, Mercedes didn't agree with what his manager said. He said, I'm going to play my game. I can't be another person. If I change, everything is going to change. Um, The next night, the Twins did take matters into their own hands. Um, reliever Tyler Duffy threw behind Mercedes in the seventh inning. He was immediately ejected along with Twins manager Roker Baldelli. After the game, Tony La Russa did not disagree with the Twins strategy, saying, I wasn't that suspicious. I'm suspicious when someone throws at someone's head. 
I didn't have a problem with how the twins handled that. Um, before I get into what, what some other players <coughs> said, what do you guys think about this whole thing? Um, overall, for the the fact that he swung on 3-0, I don't have a problem with that. Um, if you don't want a, if you don't want a hitter to swing on 3-0, a pitch better. B don't have an infielder throwing uh throwing pitches to your batters, and score more runs to the point that you don't have to use a different pitcher. Um, the the Twins put themselves in that position, so I have no problem whatsoever with uh, Mercedes swinging. That said, um. If Tony Larusa or if their third base coach was giving him the take sign or was truly yelling, take, 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 that's where I would have a problem with it. Because to me, that's showing a lot of disrespect to your to your uh, coach and to your manager. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't have a problem with the way he did that. I, I don't like the way that Larusa handled it. Uh, instead of handling it publicly – he should have addressed it internally. It's not something that should have turned into anything outside of just handling it internally. Right. How hard is it to say uh, something along the lines of, uh, we're going to have a talk about that in my office after the game or something like that. You, you know, you don't say the kid's clueless. No, the kid's not clueless or he wouldn't be a big leaguer. I, I mean, that's, that's part of it. I, I agree with you, Jason. I think you're, don't let yourself be down 16 to four. Uh, you know, again, don't be mad. A hitter's going to hit. That's what they're paid to do. Yeah. And if, you know, the way these contracts are made now, these kids have contracts and sentence where it's like, well, if you hit 30 home runs, you get this. Well, if he doesn't get that one and he comes up one short at the end of the year, who who's going to be pissed? LaRusa or him? Um, you know, who's going to pay for that? Um, I, I think LaRusso just totally dropped the ball on how he handled it publicly. It was ridiculous. Um, it, it just didn't have to be, like you said, it didn't have to be a spectacle. It didn't have to become a problem. Um, I know Lance Lynn, one of the pitchers for the White Sox, was like, hey, there's no rules when a position player is on the mound. You know, and then LaRusso's response to that is, Lance has a locker. I have an office. I disagree. And I and I get that from a management standpoint, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you're turning what should have been a one night story into a week's worth of commentary that wasn't really necessary. Um, I, I think the other option you look at is, okay, well, if we have these blowout games, so we don't use position players to pitch, do we let managers forfeit after seven if they're down 14 runs? Mm-hmm. Does you know. baseball have a mercy rule? No. No. So it's the other team's job to somehow get those last 27, get the 27th out. Yeah. Yeah. And what's to say that, uh, you know, what's to say that the Twins weren't going to make some sort of a comeback and put up just as many runs in the later innings? Um, it has happened before where where teams give up a lot of runs late. So, I mean, I have no problem with keeping the foot on the gas because who knows what your pitching staff is going to end up doing later in the game. 
Yeah, Atlanta against the Brewers in the last game of the series just last week, they they ended up losing the game by a run, but they had a seven-run seventh inning. Phillies against the Red Sox, uh, down to nothing, seven-run eighth. What's to – the Marlins. Or excuse me, the Marlins. Um, what's to say that the uh, – that the twins couldn't have one or two of those innings. So uh, yeah, I, I truly don't have a problem with that. Uh, my problem would be more so if he truly was told to take or given that sign to take. Um, and also with the way that Tony handled that publicly. Yeah. I, if your manager tells you to take, you need to take. <laughs> um, there are some players, you know, they're pretty much given a green light all the time. I, I'm sure Snit doesn't, tell Acuna to take very often on 3-0. You know, you're big sluggers. You know they're not often got they're not always going to get quote unquote easily hittable pitches. So you want them taking swings when they can. Um, I understand LaRusa being an old school manager, throwing the take sign there. I don't necessarily disagree with calling for the take sign there yeah. in that big of a game or that big of a lead in that late in the game. But yeah, again, I don't know. Why are you blowing up the player in the press? They might, you might have been able to get away with that 20, 30 years ago. You can't get away with that now. That, that's one way to, to get that player to leave town when the time comes. Yeah. Um, which, if, if you have a good player, you don't want them to give that up. So, yeah, Mercedes is probably going to be a pretty good player. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think we talked a lot about LaRusso and how he handles this. I, I mean, to, to ignore the throwing behind. You know, all of this hullabaloo and the, the pitcher gets suspended for three games for throwing behind him and the next I, day. It's I just, was really not okay with Tony's response to that, saying I wasn't suspicious and anything like that. I don't have a problem with how the Twins handled that. Uh, excuse me? If I'm a manager, I don't care what my player did the inning before. You throw at my player on purpose – I'm going to be pissed. Do you remember how long it took the first time the Marlins beaned Acuna right off his elbow a few years ago? Do you remember how long it took the umpires to calm Snit down and get him back to the clubhouse after they tossed him? It took 10, 15 minutes. That's how a manager is supposed to react when their player is being thrown at. You don't say, I didn't have a problem with how they handled that. You don't do that. Yeah. You have yeah. to be there for your players. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, if you're going to call out your player, you still need to end up having their back, especially when something like that happens. Um, you know it's going to be a retaliation. You're basically saying, go ahead, throw out my player. Excuse me. And I just don't – I don't see the point in that. No, that was – that was I, – I think LaRusa handled that absolutely as poorly as you could possibly handle it. I think a minor I think a minor league manager would have done a better job handling it honestly. Phil Wellington when he uh threw, when he army crawled out and tossed the rosin bag grenade handled that situation better than Tony LaRusa has over this past week. Um here's some thoughts from other players around the league. Um Noah Syndergaard had an interview with GQ. They asked him what he thought about the uh, unwritten rules and he said, "Quote, I think they're pretty stupid to be honest." Anything unwritten sounds pretty stupid. I think it's a very old school, and I think there needs to be a new school approach. Um, CC Sabathi was on the R2C2 podcast. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this quote because uh, he was dropping curse words like he was paid per curse word. He said, that's just bleeping stupid. 
It's stupid, period. I'm sorry. It's terrible. He shouldn't be managing that team. And if you're not going to step up and have your players back, what's the point of being the bleeping manager of the White Sox? This is what I was telling you when they hired him. He's just so out of touch with the game, and most people are. I sit here and watch Christopher Russo on MLB Network. He's out of touch with the game, like Tony La Russa is out of touch with the game. He should not be managing one of the best teams in the American League, period. The fact that Tim Anderson, who is basically the captain of their team, had to go on Instagram and step up for his teammate like, yeah, the game wasn't over. If you're going to put in a bleeping position player in there to pitch, guess what? If he's going to lob stuff over the plate, we're going to freaking tee off. Put a 10-run roll up there. If y'all don't want to see people get embarrassed and you don't want to see position players pitch and people swing on 3-0 counts and all that stuff, then make it a 10-run roll so the game would be over and you don't have these stupid unwritten rules. I, I agree with Tim Anderson on that one. Um, and uh, we're talking about these unwritten rules. It also uh, leads to something here that that we talked about uh, before we started recording here. Um is there's a lot of outrage over one unwritten rule, but uh, we were talking earlier about the Acuna walk-off. There was an unwritten rule as far as, you know, uh, bat flips and celebrating and, and watching home runs. And I don't, I don't have an issue with it because I don't really necessarily care for the unwritten rules. Um, but they are not. Nobody's upset about Acuna watching his walk-off home run for 15 seconds before starting his jog to first base and going around the bases. Um, I don't mind, you know. Usually, like seeing, you know, like a couple seconds watching it and then celebrating their team, which. You know, Akina did so, like, he yelled to the bench as he started to make his way. But 15 seconds before starting to round the bases, that that is very, very long. And nobody seems to have a problem with that unwritten rule being broken. So to me, there's a, there's a bit of uh, hypocrisy here where we're talking about being upset over one unwritten rule while another one was, was broken uh pretty hard uh, last week as well. So totally biased Braves fans. I didn't have a problem <laughs> with that one bit. I had no problem with that. Here, here's the thing. It was a walk-off. It was the end of the game. He didn't delay the end of the game. It was against a rival that had beaten you the last two games. You managed mm -hmm. to salvage the series and get a game. I don't have a problem with it. And if that happened against the Braves, I probably wouldn't have even noticed how long it took the guy to start running. <coughs> Um, yeah, the unwritten rules, I, is it time we go through the unwritten rule book and pick and choose what should stay, what should go and just be done with it? I think the whole thing should just go, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of like, if, if you're going to be upset about one unwritten rule and not another, are you really that upset about the unwritten rule or are you upset about the situation? Yeah. I mean, crossing sports a little bit, it's kind of like when, LeBron left Cleveland the first time. Everybody's all, you know, burning their stuff. And it's like, you're not, you're, you're mad that he left. You can say it's that you're mad how he left, but you're mad that he left. You yeah. know, so that kind of thing. It's like, well, you're mad that this happened this way, but you're not mad at how this happened. It's just, it, yeah, it's, it's just a mess. Well, that whole spectacle of the, 
the show, the decision, and the decision, the decision. Um, <laughs> just to say that he was leaving. That was kind of bad in general. But anyway, um, oh, I mean, no, I know what you mean, though, Joe. It's it's a matter of it. Overall, it's a matter of respect for the game, too. Um, and I, I don't think that the swinging on a 3-0 pitch, that doesn't disrespect the game. You know, hitting a walk-off home run and watching and, and admiring it because first walk-off home run, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's one of those, if people are going to be upset about one, why is another one going undiscussed because it's to me then it's it's not a matter of the unwritten rule it's you're just upset that the player jacked a home run off of one of your infielders yeah and again don't throw an infielder out i get saving your bullpen but you know what the moment you throw an infielder out to pitch you've said you know what you're probably going to score a lot of runs and i'm just going to have to be okay with that i mean that's how Atlanta went from 12 nothing to 20 to nothing against the Pirates. They brought an infielder in and Atlanta teed off and they weren't running hard and excessive. Like if the ball went to the wall, they ran and stopped at second. You know, they weren't running hard. They weren't trying to break up slides. You know, Ac- Snit actually yelled at Acuna to get back into the dugout and get the proper batting helmet out because he grabbed a left handed batter's helmet to try and switch it. And Snit was like, no, you're not going to do that. Now yeah. he, he did have Ozzy bat right-handed against a righty, and I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, yeah, it, having a non-switch hitter switch it—that's yeah, okay. That's maybe taking it a little far. Right, I was okay with that. And, and, and guys, this this topic that we posted, we had a lot of uh, Facebook comments this week. Um, a couple that really stood out to me here um, from uh, one of our buddies, uh, James Neese, uh, part of the uh, Huddle Up podcast crew. Uh, he says, uh, hitters hit. That's part of what they're paid to do. If there's a pitch that a hitter thinks is hittable, swing away. If any team like the Twins retaliates for a hitter hitting, they should be punished. All of this unwritten rule stuff in baseball is so outdated. And another one here, uh, Brandon Bear, 3-0 count, close game, swing away. Blowout like that, take the pitch. The fact that he swung when he was given the take sign also doesn't help. So again, here it's kind of back to that unwritten rule aspect, and also whether or not uh, he was given that take sign. Um, <coughs> really, two really good points here. Uh, first from Tyler Schickle, uh, Tony is old school, uh, where the unwritten rules were kind of upheld. The way the game is going, I'm 100% behind Mercedes. Hit that 47 mile per hour pitch and crush it. Do do what you go to where you are. Um, don't change young man. And then Austin young. It's not like football where it's a time game where the game is dependent on the clock at any point. The twins technically could have put up another 16 runs that inning and won. the Orioles lost in what? 2006 to the Rangers 30 to three. You can't expect players to change routines and meters. When I coached youth baseball granted a 10 run rule, you play as hard as you can and never give up an opportunity to score. Um, and uh, Andrew, I'll let you uh, t- if there's any there that you kind of want to talk about. But uh, most of our listeners, it seemed to be uh, kind of backing Mercedes. We have a, a few there though that that are kind of uh, backing Tony a little bit here. 
Yeah, actually, um, my dad brings up a good point, Rich Miller. Never be an uncoachable player. You're not really that important. And if you continue down that path, your career won't be either. Props to LaRusa for handling it with grace in public. Now, obviously, my dad and I don't agree on that point. Um, I hope he made his point a little more persuasively in the locker room. Perhaps his team will be willing to help him learn as well. And, uh, you know, I, you said it too, like Mike Strasser said, if you get if you get the takes on, you have to take. If not, you don't respect your coach. And uh, my dad said, you know, this to me is the real issue here. And I, I think we can all acknowledge that. When your coach yeah. tells you to take, you need to take. You right. Know? And I think, you know, if, if you're going to ignore a sign in a blowout, are you going to ignore a sign in a close game? Yeah, yeah, you know that's that's a good that, that's too. the that's the the point from I mean from the manager standpoint. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks everybody for reaching out about that one. That was that was really good interaction on our Facebook page there. Um, again, uh, for those of you that maybe aren't following us on Facebook yet, the Dollar Dogs and Beer Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. Yeah, I actually think we had more um, engagement on that post than any other post we put up so far. So that was awesome, everybody. Yeah. All right. Uh, something else I wanted to bring up this week. We had some fun throwbacks uh, this past weekend. The Royals and the Tigers, they played a game that featured uh, Negro League throwback uniforms. The Royals wore Kansas City Monarch throwback jerseys. These were from approximately 1949. Um, they, it was a white uniform with double red stripe piping from the collar that went straight down the middle of the sleeves and it continued down the leg. The ball caps were matching. They had white piping on the red hat. I thought that looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they duplicated the look of the batting helmets. They went with a matte red helmet, and then they did the uh, 3D raised logo on the batting helmet. I thought that was a really, really, really sharp uniform. Um, the Tigers, they went with the 1920 Detroit Stars. Um, this is from Paul Lucas at UniWatch. They've worn the home version of the jersey 17 times since 1995, the most recent time was in 2019, but they wore the road version against the Royals. They were the road team, um, and that was the first time they had done that. It, they, it was a gray uniform that had navy pinstripes, and then the jersey had this really cool divided area down the middle and around the neck. It was a thick navy section where the buttons were. Um, and something else, if you, if you go to UniWatch and pull that page up, they also have a picture of all the Kansas City groundskeepers together, and they were all wearing uh, period-appropriate throwback outfits. Uh, that was a great-looking great looking affair, and um, I think they also encouraged fans to dress up like it was the Roaring Twenties again, and I think the Twitter pages had a whole bunch of pictures up from that. Um, th- those were great. And then Miami, um, Nike has a new set of jerseys they're putting out this year called City Connect Alternates, um, something to connect the city with its fan base. So the ones they chose for Miami, um, the uniform was a tribute to the Havana Sugar Kings, which was actually a Cincinnati Reds AAA team that was based in Cuba from 1946 through 1960. It wasn't an exact throwback, obviously, because it's, you know, it's the Marlins, it's not the Reds, but it was very similar to the original. The Miami version featured a red uniform. It had wide white pinstripes with Miami on the front. Um, the Sugar Kings 1959 uniform featured a sleeve patch depicting a sack of sugar with a crown. Um, and they made a similar patch um, of a sugar sack that actually said Miami Marlins. And this is uh, the first time all year that Miami has worn anything that said the freaking word Marlins. 
you would have thought that would have happened before now. Um, honestly, I really liked all three of these uniforms. Um, the accessories with the Miami uniforms, it was like a white, not quite royal, more of a light blue. Um, the base shirts, the caps, the belt, the socks, they were all that. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't be upset if Miami wore them all the time. I thought it, I think it looks better than their current set. Yeah, and it, it looked, it, it fit the Miami heritage really well, too. Mm-hmm. Um I, I mean, I, I we talked earlier in the in this uh, in a few episodes ago about the uniforms in baseball, and we really bashed on the Marlins for for their uniforms because they don't nothing says Marlins on it. It's all about Miami, which I understand wanting to focus on the city or, or where you're from, um, but let people know your name, uh, and uh, I really like that. And I don't think e- any of those three jerseys were a miss. They they were all very tastefully done, and the uh, the Negro League throwbacks were just wonderful. I had one I had one bone of contention with the Negro League throwbacks. Nike couldn't help putting the freaking swoosh on the front of the uniform. It's a throwback. You can put it on the sleeve, or you can even omit it for one game. It's okay, Nike. We don't need to know that you're everywhere at all times. And to be honest, I don't, that's the one thing I've really disliked about once Nike took over the uh, uniform contract from Majestic is that they moved the maker's mark off the sleeve and put it on the chest. Some of the really classic uniforms, the Cardinals, the Yankees, I hate seeing the swoosh on the front there. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't look well. Right. You even look at, um, I mean, the Phillies cream alternate jerseys. Um, I, Recently, I, I got a uh, Bryce Harper cream jersey, and I found an authentic one that was on clearance because it doesn't have the Nike swoosh, and it saved me $100. So the Nike swoosh adds $100 in retail value to a piece of clothing. No, thanks. I'm good without no. the swoosh. Yeah. Joe, what was your favorite of the three? Um, I didn't see the the Negro League unis, but um, seeing the Miami Miami ones, they were pretty sweet. I thought that was sharp. Um, again, I, I wouldn't be disappointed they wore something like that all the time. I mean, we we've talked too about their their orange uniforms from a few years back. I think um, were pretty good too. So it's nice to see them do something nice with the alternates. I just wish they would do it with their regular uniforms. Yeah, and you know something else I I want to point out I. I give Nike some credit actually in not making yet another Miami Vice black and pink and blue alternate for the Marlins. They like the have heat. they have beaten that to death with the heat. I'm glad they went a different route. Um, you know, that's a huge Cuban population in Miami, and I I bet the Miami the Cuban based the Miami fandom absolutely loved that throwback. I I think the White Sox are next to have one of these city connect uniforms. And I believe they're probably going to announce that around Memorial day, a little bit before, a little bit after. So I, you know, they did so well with Miami. I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with the white Sox next. Yeah, absolutely. What, what should the three was your favorite, Jason? Um, I'm going to go with the Detroit uh, Jersey with the stars. I, I, I love the way that they split everything up on the front, having the star like right in the middle. Um, I just thought that that, it paid great tribute to that team. Um, and it just, 
looked fantastic. Yeah. I personally, I really like the Monarchs throwback, especially what they did to make the batting helmet with going with the matte red, mm-hmm. the 3D print of the logo to make it pop. I That said, there was no bad choice of any of these three. These were all fantastic uniforms from this past weekend. Yeah. All right, so let's look at uh, some top-hitting performances from this past week. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. of San Diego, um, he was on fire. He slashed uh, 786, 824, 1.929. He scored seven runs at four homers, 12 RBIs, stole three bags, had 11 hits and four doubles. NL Player of the Week, Austin Riley, he had a weak slash line of uh, 462, 464, 1.308. He scored nine runs, hit six home runs, 11 RBIs, had 11 hits and four doubles. Jesse Winkler, the Reds, he had a great week. He had a 407, 467, 1.074 line. He scored eight runs, hit six home runs, seven RBIs, had 11 hits. And uh, Trey Mancini, he did everything he could to try and make Baltimore not suck this past week, even if he was unsuccessful. He had a 435, 536, 957 slash line. He scored eight runs, hit three homers, had nine RBIs, 10 hits, and three doubles. You got to feel for a guy who did all that and his team still couldn't do anything. Yeah, and, and I feel bad for Trey Mancini uh, in, in general. Like he, at the moment, he's absolutely comeback player of the year, mm-hmm. um, you know, fighting cancer, uh, being successful in that fight, and leading the, leading the league in RBI – so he, he he deserves to be on a team that's competing. Um, the fact that you have you have the RBI leader and you still aren't winning games tells you that there's a lot more that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, do either you guys have any other hitters you wanted to mention? No, but um, I think uh, Winkler for the, the Reds, uh, three homers on Friday – and then one homer on Saturday and Sunday, so five homers in the weekend. I'll take that, yeah, um, for sure. I, I think I, I agree with you guys. I mean, Mancini, it, it's just so unfortunate to be on a team that is so bad. Um, you know, with with the injuries that have mounted across some of the division leaders, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to the Mets or somebody else. You know, yeah. at trade deadline time and. and um, you know the the Orioles should really do right by him at that point if if there's a good offer on the table. Yeah, um, and sp- speaking of uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, we kind of touched on this uh, last week with uh, his dad. You know, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. It was his uh, second career Grand Slam. Uh, it took a little while, you know, weeks to months. Whereas his dad hit his second career Grand Slam within a matter of batters <laughs> and all the same pitcher <laughs> yeah Still, um, but yeah no great great week for those four all right my top pitching performances this week um it, you can't not start with zach wheeler one and oh on the week 14 two-thirds inning <coughs> 22 strikeouts which i believe led the league for last week he had a 0.63 era 0.63 whip he gave up one single earned run eight hits one walk and that one earned run was on a solo shot. Um, Julio Urias of the Dodgers, he went 2-0. He pitched 13 and a third, struck out 18 at a 213 ERA and a .47 whip. He gave up only three earned runs, six hits, and one home run. 
Hugh Darvish of San Diego, he went 2-0. He pitched 14 and two-thirds, 15 strikeouts, a .64 ERA, a .79 whip. He gave up one earned run, 11 hits. And uh, Bueller, also of the Dodgers, he went 2-0, 14 and two-thirds innings, 12 strikeouts, .64 ERA, .86 whip, one earned run, seven hits, five walks. Um, get, wow, those were four fantastic outings. Uh, do you guys have any other pitchers you want to throw in the mix there? Um, the only other, I think, pitching thing, I mean, it almost sounds like a weekly occurrence at this point, but didn't Kluber hit a, have a no-no last week? Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah, I forgot so, to put Kluber on uh, there. I mean, yes. other other than that, I mean, you, you really can't do much better than what those pitchers are doing. Um, I'm, I'm glad for Darvish to have that kind of success. I wish he was still having it in Wrigley, but, I'll, I mean, he's still doing really well. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, other than the no-no, those are the best pitchers this, this past week for sure. Speaking of no hitters, Andrew, I'm kind of disappointed that you aren't wearing your uh, Etro jersey again tonight, because uh, uh, both times that you've worn it, the very next day, there has been a no hitter thrown. So uh, you you want some more hitters, uh, more hitting going on now? Is that what this is? Or uh, to be completely, I mean, to be fair, you are wearing a Braves jersey tonight. So to be completely honest, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I've just been alternating every other week my Chipper jersey or my Etro jersey. I, clearly, I need more jerseys. My wife would probably very vehemently disagree with that, saying I probably have more than enough jerseys. But I disagree. I don't think you can ever have enough jerseys. Yeah, I, I know, uh, listener, uh, Dave Gerhardt, uh, he's probably thrilled that you are not wearing your Etro jersey tonight because uh, he, he is a big Mariners fan. So, uh, D- Dave, don't worry. Uh, Andrew's got you covered this week. All right. My uh, hot teams of the past week, obviously, we talked about them earlier, the Braves and the Cubs. Um, I also have to mention the Rays. They now have 11 straight wins. The Red Sox. The Yankees have six straight wins. The Dodgers have seven straight wins. The Padres have nine straight wins. Um, Did you guys have any other teams you wanted to mention? I don't. You hit all the teams that are uh, on the hot streaks right now. Uh, While we are uh, recording tonight, uh, we did learn that it looks like the Rays uh, did lose their game. Uh, So that streak is over. But um, we still have more streaks continuing. Yeah, you really did hit hit all the the big winners. I think um, the Red Sox. The thing to keep up with with them is to watch just how patient they are at the plate. Um, last week, watching them, they they just put a huge inning together. I think it was against Toronto, and it was just their, their patience. Eight hits with two outs. I mean, uh, you know. Patience at the play is really going to pay off for them. Absolutely. That's that's for any team, too. Another winning streak did end tonight. Uh, aside from the Rays losing to the Royals 2-1, to one, uh, the Blue Jays beat the Yankees 6-2 to two in New York. So the, mm-hmm. the Yankees winning streak did end as well. Uh, currently, Dodgers are, are up 5-1 uh, to one in Houston. And the Padres... Uh, are up seven to one in Milwaukee, and that game is in the eighth inning. It's probably a safe one. Yeah. Um, and as much as I can't stand the Dodgers, I hope they beat the living snot out of the Astros. I don't think, you, you know, it's I'm still so angry at the Astros and the cheating that they did that I would almost root for the Braves to beat them, if, even if it would knock the Braves out of the playoffs. You know, with one of those weird tiebreaker scenarios just to not let the Astros win a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how angry I still am with that team, that I would almost sab- rather see my season get sabotaged. 
but have them lose. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, baseball fans that are not Astros fans pretty much all agree with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I don't remember what game it was, but we were talking about it in our chat. Um, one of the stadiums, I think they played. Uh, I saw the sign by Ace of Base on the organ mm-hmm. uh, when Altuve went to the plate this weekend. So that's just funny. Yeah, I mean, that's I, great. teams are just gonna have fun with this. Got, for you a gotta while, have fun trolling. You have to. And you got to give the organist a lot of credit for uh, getting that ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not the easiest one to just pick up off the top of your head and uh, doodle out on the market. Do, do you guys remember the old Nickelodeon uh, Nicktoon show, Doug? Yes. There was a song that Doug and Skeeter did called Banging on a Trash Can. That would be brilliant <laughs> to run across the video boards uh, wherever the Astros go. Just just play that introduction Oh, banging on a trash can. Please, dear baseball gods, can we let that happen sometime <laughs> this season? All right. Uh, so some we have uh, two reader questions this week. The first one comes from Jason's wife, Karen. Uh, what is the be- best baseball snack, like the Dodger Dog versus the Schmitter? And also, are Cracker <coughs> Jacks really that good? Jason, you want to start off with this one? Yeah, I can start off with that one. Uh, first off, Cracker Jacks really are that good. I, I do enjoy Cracker Jacks. Um, and for best baseball snack, uh, you would think that as a Philly fan, I would say, you know, the cheesesteak because they do have Tony Luke's at Citizens Bank Park, which is incredible, an incredible cheesesteak. Um, I am going to go with, it's, it's called the Schmitter. It's what Karen mentioned in there. And just to give you an idea, uh, I call that a heart attack on a bun. Um, they don't sell it at the stadium anymore because the, the tavern that had the stand there is no no longer at the stadium, but the the Schmitter is a on on a bun here. You have the Kaiser bottom cheese, steak, fried onions, more cheese, tomatoes, grilled salami, more cheese, and then a special like. They call it a special sauce, which was kind of like a Thousand Island type of sauce. And then a Kaiser Top. So you have two to three levels of of cheese, two to three levels of meat, and then just like fried fixins on it. It is one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. Um, But it is hard to go against just a regular dog. Um, I'm going to go with the Schmitter in Philly with – the Wrigley hot dog, the Chicago style hot dog, uh, second. And then I have had a Dodger dog, which just a big hot dog on a bun. It's like a full on hot dog. Um, but I'd also throw out, uh, the Comiskey burger, which was, uh, at us cellular now, um, whatever the white Sox call it. Yeah. yeah. Guaranteed. Um, right. It's two patties and cheese with the, uh, Chicago style pica de gallo, uh, on it. Top notch. But yeah, Schmitter. I have a question. How the heck do you get the Schmitter in your mouth? Well, I mean, I'm talking on a podcast, so I have a pretty big mouth here. So, uh, but no, you, you kind <laughs> before you unwrap it, you just squish it a little bit. And, and then uh, I hope the cheese doesn't and, blast you in the face when you open it. Yeah, you, you just have to open it carefully, then otherwise, you're going to have uh, some grease dropping uh, down uh, on you. <laughs> All right, Joe, what's your best baseball snack? 
um, I'm I'm pretty basic. I'm I'm a, a pretzel in a beer or a hot dog in a beer. It doesn't necessarily matter where. Um, I think I'd like to get back to Fenway um, and Field of Dream Styles halfway down the third baseline, eat, you know, halfway up the stands eating a hot dog. And <laughs> to me, that's, that's you know, keeping score and eating a hot dog. That's kind of what I like to do when I go to a ball game. So, you know, hot dogs, beers, pretzels, that's kind of it. Dollar and, dog night. Yeah. And, uh, and Cracker Jacks eat. are good. They're just not something I'm going to eat every single time. Um, for me, and I'm also the nerd who sits there in the stands with my scorecard and actually correctly fills out the scorecard as if I was the official scorer. And uh, there are times that me and the official scorer have debates throughout the game as to what do you mean that wasn't an error? But I digress. Um, I Every time I go to the ballpark, I have to have a hot dog. Um, sometimes just a regular hot dog. I love getting cheese dogs. Chili cheese dogs are always good. Um, Dollar Dog Night is the greatest promotion ever, which is also why we, you know, picked that to name the podcast. Um, I always have a beer, at least one. Um, when we, when my wife and I, oh God, this was probably what, 10 or 11 years ago now, um, we drove down to Turner Field to see the Braves and the Phillies. And my wife thoroughly enjoyed the, uh, margarita and the tomahawk. <laughs> very, very tall margarita. Um, they also had, and I believe, I believe this moved with the Braves to Truist Park. Um, there was a rib joint there that had fantastic ribs as well. Um, also, but the best ribs in the majors, let's be realistic, Baltimore, uh, the one, the, the stand out there in a right center field. Crab cake sandwich. Yeah. I, Baltimore's got it all. I mean, they don't have a great home baseball team right now, but they've got everything else that you could possibly want in a stadium. And yes, Karen, Cracker Jacks really are that good. I happen to love Cracker Jacks. <laughs> All right. I um, miss the actual prizes that you get in them. <laughs> that was just like a little sticker. Yeah, it used to be like you get like plastic rings sometimes yeah. or, you know, yeah, I guess I guess the costs must have mounted up with that extra hunk of plastic. All right. And then Travis Nur asked, uh, what memorable baseball moments you witnessed in person? Um, Joe, what was your memorable moment that you got to see in person? Uh, a couple of summers ago, I, I was out in Chicago for uh, a potential job opportunity and uh, staying with my uncle and my uncle, um, we decided to get tickets for the game. Cubs were in town. So I got to watch Hendricks, who, a guy I love to talk about so much and love to watch. Um, I got to see him pitch live. So that's just fantastic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't gotten to see the Cubs play many games, especially the way they've been the last couple of years. So um, it was nice to kind of get to see all those guys play. So, what about you, Jason? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this one, and and there's a few that come to my mind. Um, I I have lots of fun memories from the Phillies games. Um, I think one of my favorite things I went is just because it was so far out there, and just one of the craziest things that I've seen was. Uh, Karen and I went to Baltimore with a couple of our friends who are also Red Sox fans. We went down for an Orioles Red Sox game and I was really excited because Victorino was with the Red Sox at the time after winning the world series with, uh, the Phillies. But I was also excited to see David Ortiz play. He struck out and it was a rough call. And I believe I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. He went into the dugout 
and was really upset, ended up getting ejected. So he comes out into the field, argues out there. But when he went back into the dugout, he took his bat and absolutely demolished the bullpen phone. And it was one of the funniest things that we've ever seen. And then we've heard throughout the night that he went into the locker room and destroyed a locker with the bat. So it's, and what made it even funnier was during Ortiz's farewell tour, the Orioles presented him with the broken bullpen phone. Um, So I think that was one of my more memorable ones. Uh, Not so much for the uh, play of the game, but for that type of a tirade. And it should be uh, remembered that the uh, Orioles gifted that phone back to David Ortiz on his farewell tour. Yeah, that was, that was great. So um, I've got, I've got two big moments that really stick out in my mind. Of course, they're both Braves moments. Um, The first one was from that trip. My wife and I took down there. It was great pitcher stole. It was doc holiday versus Tim Hudson. Oh, wow. And as usual, Charlie left Doc in the game one inning too long. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, Dan Ugla, who, as you might remember, had the Uh, longest hitting streak, but the lowest batting average combination, you know, at that like 32 game hitting streak. And he still only hit like 225 or something. But if he actually hit the ball kind of like Baez, it was going to go a long way. So bottom of the eighth, uh, Dan Ugla comes up and uh, my wife earlier in the game informed me that uh, he was her current favorite brave because of the massive biceps he had. Understandable. And uh, he took a Doc Holiday fastball and smashed it over the center field wall. And then we got to watch Craig Kimbrell come out in the ninth and blow the Phillies down. Yep, the arms up. Um, we were, we had pretty good seats. We were like halfway up in the third. I think we we're on the third base side. And um, from where we were, I have never heard a catcher's mitt pop so loud as when McCann was catching Craig Kimbrell's fastball. It, it was unreal how loud that was. Um, the other fun moment I have, uh, one summer. So my dad's a band director. Although he's retired, his retirement is in what six days? Yeah, yeah, crazy to think about. Um, so we always had the band trips down to Disney, but one summer my parents decided we're taking a family trip down to Disney, so we're not stuck on an itinerary and we can do whatever whatever we want. Me, being the awesome oldest child that I am, said, "Hey, Atlanta's on the way to Florida. We should stop and see a Braves game." So we did. I mean, Atlanta's not really on the way to Orlando. There's a pretty hard, I mean, it's south. Cut off to get over to Atlanta and then to get back to I 95. But I digress. I mean, technically, it is on the way if you're going from Pennsylvania like you would have been. It's just, you know, over a little bit. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Several hours (laughs) over a bit. But anyway, that was the that was the first time I'd ever been to a Braves game at home. Like my parents had taken me to Orioles, Braves at the Orioles. We got to see some Yankees Orioles games, ton of Braves Phillies games up in the vet and it sits when the sits open. But that was the first time I'd ever seen a game down in Turner Field. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, were they st- I think they were still in Montreal at the time. I think they were still the Expos. Um I I can't remember which year. I want to say like 2003, 2004. Anyway, back there, Rafael Fercal was still playing for the Braves. Okay. So there was a small rain delay late in the game. We Our seats were pretty far back in the right field stands. Um, 
during the <laughs> rain delay, a whole lot of people went home because it was a tie game and not a lot of offense from either team. I think Maddox actually might have started that game, which explains why there wasn't a lot of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after the rain delay, we went down to the lower level. So we were just a couple rows back from the wall. Ninth inning comes up. Rocky Biddle came out to try and uh, either close the game or keep the game tied for the Expos. And uh, Rafael Fercal, who's not known for his power, hits a walk-off. I think it was a two- or three-run home run. Oh, that's awesome. And the ball was like a couple rows in front of where we where we had moved down to sit. Nice. Yeah. To this day, the closest I've ever come to catching a major league home run or a foul ball. Uh, I had one that was closer in a minor league game up at the Senators. That was like seven seats away from me. But that was the closest I had ever been in a major league game. Cool. Uh, I, as you were talking, I did think of of one really neat experience that I had um, on our honeymoon, which um, I don't I don't think we really talk about, but it, it's it's on my bucket list to really to see where each major league team plays, uh, visit everybody. So on our honeymoon, which we went down to Disney, we took a day and we actually went to a Rays game. So could cross that off the list, uh, which the drop. Nothing spectacular. Uh, we got to touch the ray, play with the rays and the ray tank type of thing. Um, That's pretty cool, which though. is which is pretty cool. Uh, it was neat seeing the catwalks. I got to laugh when I saw the uh, 2008 American League Champions banner hanging in the. I feel like, yeah, wonder who you lost to. Um, so enjoyed that. But what was really neat, they were playing the Yankees, and it was uh, uh, one of Mariano Rivera's last seasons, if not his last season. And the Yankees were up by three uh, heading into the top of the ninth. So Mariano Rivera is uh, warming up. The Yankees get another run. So it's no longer a safe situation. And I'm thinking, no, this can't be. I, I, wanna, I wanted to see Rivera pitch. As much as I dislike the Yankees, I, I, I have nothing but respect for certain players of the game. Uh, he's one of them that, you know, greatest closer of all time. Um, and Karen goes, why are you upset? He's a Yankee. So I was explaining, you know, just how important Mariano Rivera was to the game and the fact that he's the last person wearing number 42. Um, and, you know, once he retired, no more number 42 in the game. And I was very ecstatic because uh while they did go up for runs, they didn't get anybody else loose, and Rivera did come in to pitch. And one, two, three inning, we we were out. That that inning was like maybe two minutes long. Um, That's so, actually a long inning for Mariano. Yeah, so 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 that was pretty cool. Um, saw John John Cena was right behind us, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know how we saw him, but uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. To, pretty cool to meet John Cena there. Uh, have fun with that picture show people they're like why'd you take a picture of a blank seat uh, <laughs> of an empty seat there so um but yeah just seeing one of the one of the game's greats uh winding down his career and seeing him play was something that i'll definitely remember all right guys we're going to take a quick break then we'll be right back hey, welcome back everybody we're going to take a look at the upcoming week so Atlanta, they start off. Uh, they've got the uh, Chicago Cubby style short week. They play uh, two a two game mini series at Boston. We're going to see uh, Charlie Morton versus Richard, Smiley versus Pavetta, 
Uh, my key for the Braves in that series is that the offense needs to continue the strong hitting. The bullpen needs to be locked down because Boston has a very potent offense. And my big question is, uh, can Morton and Smiley continue their recent strong appearances that they've been having? And then uh, they continue the road trip and they go three at the Mets. Um, Ian Anderson versus an unknown, uh, an unannounced starter. Um, game two is an unannounced starter for Atlanta versus Peterson. And then the big game Sunday night is Max Fried versus Jacob deGrom. I'm super excited for that. Um, the Mets have been stumbling since the Braves series, so we need to jump on them. We need to take our, we need to take a chance. We need to uh, get some good hits and uh, switch the pennants around on Jason's wall over there and put Atlanta back on top where they belong. Uh, what do you guys think about the Braves upcoming? Any other points? I think, um, I mean, DeGrom looked really well, uh, looked real good tonight, nine strikeouts uh, in limited five innings. Still a no decision uh, for him, and, and it was only a home run he gave up. Um, his ERA is still 0.8, so, I mean, he's 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 looking pretty good coming out of, of the rehab starts. Um, hopefully that continues for them. Yeah, uh, Sunday night baseball is going to be a, a good one this week. It's – I'm I'm thinking you're looking at a one nothing two one type of game. Yeah, not gonna lie, I'm probably going to have the audio pulled up on MLB TV and ha- or from the radio off MLB TV and then mute a Rod so I don't have to listen to him all game. Yeah, you know, just saying. And then the uh, Phillies this week they've got three games on. They're on the road all week. They have another Cubs style mini week. They start with a three at Miami. Game one is Velasquez versus Alcantara. Game two is Nola versus an unannounced starter. And then game three is Howard versus Lopez. So, you know, this is the same point I brought up last time. The Phillies were on the road. They need to overcome their road woes. And they also need to overcome their Marlin woes. Um, Alcantara dominated them last time. They need to jump on him. And the other question I have is, will Nola finally start to turn the corner and look more like an ace? And then the uh, Phillies end the week with a two-game miniseries at Tampa. You've got Wheeler versus Waka and Eflin versus Yarbrough. Um, again, they need to overcome the road issues. Um, Tampa's hot as iron right now. It's, you know, they've got very good pitching even when they're not playing well. So the Phillies are going to have to take advantage of when they get runners on and they need to play smart baseball against Tampa to be able to pick any wins out of that. Uh, any thoughts, guys? Um, for, for me, it's a matter of can, can the offense get – Wheeler some runs uh, in Tampa. Um, as we're recording here, uh, the Phillies did beat the Marlins tonight, uh, two to nothing. Velasquez pitched brilliantly, six innings pitched, only a couple hits. Um, but for this weekend, uh, two games in Tampa. Uh, I we we're, we're not going to go over our predictions tonight, but I, I do have the Phils losing uh, both games in Tampa mainly because I, I'm worried that that offense isn't going to get Wheeler the runs that he needs. I'm afraid he's going to get a uh, Jacob deGrom here. Yeah. And then for the uh, Cubbies this week, uh, first they have three on the road at Pittsburgh. Um, you have Arietta is pitching in game one. Game two is Williams versus Crow. Game three is Hendricks versus Anderson. Um, these are good pitching matchups for the Cubs. The Pirates are coming in shell-shocked after the beatdown they got from Atlanta in the last two games where they gave up, what, 32 runs in two games. Um, And the Cubs, they just need to keep that strong offense going. And as we pointed out before, um, if you're having hitting woes play the Pirates, you usually tend to twist them back around and straighten it up. 
Um, and then the Cubbies finished the week three at home versus Cincinnati. Um, you got Al's Lay will be against an um, unannounced pitcher. Davies versus Castillo. Arietta versus Molly. Um, the Reds are bad. The Cubs are at home. They need to take care of the Reds. I, you know, I think I predicted two and one, but they really need to pull a sweep this this weekend. I mean, the Reds are they're not in the cellar, but you know, when you're playing the two last place teams in your division, you need to come out very strong. Either you know, I you're probably not going to get all six because that's you know that's baseball, but you need to take probably five or six, four or six at least. Yeah, uh, um, tonight Arietta pitched fairly well. The Cubs did end up winning that game. Uh, Jock Peterson had two home runs, uh, so he's continuing to hit well. Uh, the big question will be tomorrow night if, if Trevor Williams can bounce back and have a good start. He pitched pretty poorly last week, last couple weeks really. Uh, so we'll see if that um, if he bounces back. Hendricks hopefully will have a nice start against Anderson. Really the, the two, uh, I think, best pitchers from both teams right now. Um, other than Alzali. Uh, so I hope they can take advantage of it. We'll see. Um, they are on the road, so who knows. But um, the Reds, they'll take two out of three, I think. I don't th- I don't ever go for a sweep as a Cub fan. It's too many things happen. Um, Alzali, hopefully he continues to do what he's doing and they're playing at home. Uh, Davies, hopefully he continues to pitch well. And, and Arietta, hopefully he has another uh, a good start there at home. So... All right. Um, the other big series this week I want to take a look at is San Francisco at the Dodgers. They are two of the hottest teams in baseball right now. I'm expecting lots of fireworks. I'm expecting lots of hitting. I'm expecting to see some good pitching matchups. Um, that's going to be a really exciting game. And if I wasn't so engrossed in the Braves and the Mets, I would probably watch every inning of both of those games live, but they're just going to have to wait till the Braves and the Mets are done each day. Yeah. the. The uh, series that I'm looking at this week uh, also is you have a, a big AL West matchup. Uh, Mariners are in Oakland to take on the Athletics. So you have uh, numbers one and three there in the AL West battling it out. Um, so uh, that's kind of on my radar this week as well. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the Dodgers are playing as hot as anybody. I think they went uh... – what did we say? Seven. Seven. Yep. Um, and so are the Giants. So that'll be a fun series to see, um, kind of who kind of tries to take the lead dog position in that chase against the Padres. And I mean that's that's a tight race right now. Um, those teams are all within a game and a half of each other. <laughs> San Diego Dodgers are a half game behind. Giants are a game and a half behind. That's going to be a really tightly contested race till yeah. I, at least the All Star break. I mean. If the Gabe Kapler curse of Philadelphia happens, they'll probably fall off about two-thirds of the way through the season. But, uh, you know, maybe Gabe figured something out out there, and it's going to be a tight race the whole year. We'll yeah, and, and, and Dodgers-Giants is just one of those divisional rivalries that you can't help but pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah, that's an old – I mean, that's an old New York rivalry from before the teams moved out mm-hmm. west, and that was always – you know, that was – those were tightly contested, hotly fought games in New York, and mm-hmm. it didn't simmer down much when they moved out to the West Coast. So um, to everybody, I appreciate you staying with us this late. This is a much longer episode than normal. We had a lot to cover tonight. Um, so we're going to skip the picks preview from the last week and from the upcoming week. I'll put a post up on Facebook's, uh tomorrow, and you can see where the picks and the standings are. 
Um, so you guys can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spreaker. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcasts. May your dogs always cost a dollar, and may your beer always be cold. Have a good night, everybody.